So our scripture today is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, my name is David, pastor here at Current. If you've been coming over the last couple of weeks, you know that I'm, I've been hyping uh, kind of off, offhandedly uh, my love for Christmas songs, Christmas carols. Um, I wonder if you could guess, of all the songs, which one that when I hear this song come on the radio, I'm in the mood. Like, we, we can go, Christmas can start. Like, as soon as this song comes on, I'm just, I'm, I'm good. Any, any guesses on what, what that is? Some of you might think, like, you know, pastor's going to say Silent Night or first, first Noel or something like that. Mariah Carey's, uh, what is it? Um, all I Want for Christmas is You. That's the song. When that comes on, I'm, I'm ready to celebrate Christmas. Like, it's, I don't care. I don't care when that comes on. I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, I was talking to a friend this, this, this week even, and they were telling me, this friend was telling me how much uh, he does not like Christmas songs. And, you know, just they, you know, there's the same songs year after year, and, you know, they kind of have the repetitive tune, and they just get stuck in your head and that sort of thing. Judging by my, me looking around, there's a number of you that fit into that camp. He was telling me that he just wasn't, he's not really into them. But I said, but what about All I Want for Christmas is You? He's like, yeah, okay, I like that song. It's a good song. And uh, there's something about songs, isn't there, that help move thoughts, feelings from our minds and into our hearts, isn't there? I feel like songs just do a wonderful thing of moving what we might, what we were thinking about, the, the, the words, into our hearts, into our souls, deep down inside. That's one of the reasons why we do every week uh, what we do every week with the singing. I'm so grateful for the band, so grateful for the audiovisual team back there, how they serve us in this regard, how they lead us to sing songs of, of worship. Um, this is actually the very first Christmas song. Uh, the song that Mary sang that day, we don't have the melody, but we do have the lyrics. It's the very first Christmas carol. That, that carol. It, it, it never had dawned on me before uh, this series, but, but here it is, the first one. And it's this song that helps us understand the subversively beautiful message behind the true meaning of Christmas. Um, subversive in the sense of it's not what we'd expect, at least not what I'd expect. Uh, it's upside down. 
uh, it's subversive in the sense of if, if you were to ask me what the first Christmas song of all Christmas songs had as far as its lyrics goes, I wouldn't have guessed this. I wouldn't have guessed these words. And yet what, they, what it shows us is it, it shows us a lot about who God is and his great love for us in ways that perhaps you've either never considered before or if you've been a follower of his, perhaps you've taken for granted. Uh, so I want to look at this, this first of all Christmas songs and, and kind of glean from it what we can today. But first, before we can get to that song, there's this narrative piece of Mary going and visiting Elizabeth that I think has some really practical uh, has a real practical lesson for us, which I think, you know, normally when I'm reading the scriptures, I'm, I'm always asking the question, well, why is this here? If Luke and all these authors put it here and they didn't waste any word, why is this here? When I first read this little narrative account of Mary going and visiting Elizabeth, I was thinking, okay, we're just going to skip that and get to the song. But then I realized, wait a minute, there's something here. And the more I meditated on it, I was like, wow, there's something really, really, uh, really helpful here. Not only is it helpful, but I don't even think we'd have the song if not for what happens in these verses. So first, what happens in, in, in lead up to this wonderful song that Mary sings? Uh, where we left off last week, if you were here, was the angel Gabriel had visited Mary with this wonderful message. And we talked about how unusual, how out of the ordinary this was, and not just the unusual thing of, yeah, an angel being in her midst. That's pretty unusual. But the fact that this angel had this greeting, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This greeting that was uh, meant only for dignitaries, for royalty, was not only being spoken to Mary, it was being spoken to Mary from an angel and on God's behalf. And we talked about how Mary pondered these words. It said it troubled her spirit. It troubled her, and she, she was wondering at why these words were being spoken to her. And the angel went on to say, well, you know, you, you, have, you are highly favored and God's going to give, you will conceive with a son. And then we talked about how Mary considered these words. Uh, she's like, how is this going to happen? I'm just a virgin. And if you were here last week, we spent quite a bit of time thinking about this, the interesting thought that Mary herself, in the scriptures, we have an example of somebody doubting, and yet that being propped up as a, as a model of faith for us. In other words, Mary, in her doubt, was not scorned by the angel. The angel didn't come back and say, Mary, time out. We're done with you. I'm going to go find somebody else who's a little bit more highly favored because you're doubt. No. Even in her doubt, as she leaned into who God was, the angel spoke to her. God wasn't miffed by her doubt, but ended up providing her more information and, and, and leading her into uh, what he had for, for her. And so the angel told her, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to carry, carry out. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. You're going to, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. You'll name him Jesus. And he gives this wonderful promise for no word from God will ever fail. So she pondered, she considered, and then finally in verse 38, if you have your Bibles, look in, you can look back, it, we see that she willingly surrendered. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Okay, so that's where we pick up today, is the angel had left her, and let me just ask you, so Luke picks up that very moment and shares what happens next with Mary, what Mary decides to do. If you were Mary, and this angel came and did this thing, and it's amazing, crazy, what would your next move be? Like, what would you do next? What Mary decides to do is, we're, we're told, she, she packs up and she hurries to her relative, Elizabeth which, mind you, is a probably a three- to five-day journey for her. 
Um, and she, she gets to Elizabeth, and as soon as she gets to Elizabeth, something just immediately starts to happen. We're told the baby leaps inside of her womb, and it says, Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 42, says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Verse 45, blessed is the one, blessed is she who has, has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, here's something that's very, very practical before we get on to this wonderful song. You and I, as much as Mary needed, need fellowship. We need fellowship. Mary gets this incredible news from this angel, and she doesn't just go off and sit alone. You know, she doesn't really understand all that's happened to her. She doesn't really understand what's happening to her, and she doesn't understand really what's getting ready to happen to her. And so what does she do? She goes off, she, she, she goes and she meets, meets with another sister of hers, a relative. And it's amazing how this plays out because it doesn't take too long into their time together. Actually, at the very first part of their greeting, things just start to fall into place. They kind of click together. And Elizabeth affirms her and cares for her in ways that Mary probably didn't uh, expect. And Elizabeth affirms and encourages her in ways that will help her for the road ahead. What a beautiful picture of finding God in community. Um, We need fellowship. You need fellowship. And if you look even at verse 36, again, at our, our story last time, you'll see that even the angel Gabriel sort of hinted her in this direction. Do you see this? Verse 46, he's basically saying to her, hey, this is going to get hard, so go see your, your relative Elizabeth. We need Christian community. We need, we need fellowship. This last week in our Alpha course, our Alpha group, um, a, a group that we do here at Current that is designed uh, for, for folks exploring Christianity, a safe place to ask questions. Uh, what we'll do is we'll look at a video and, uh, with a Christian topic and then discuss it and just kind of uh, free-for-all, just kind of consider what, what the message is. And the topic this last week was, how does God speak to us? And I, and I thought it was really well done, the video, as they, as they kind of compiled this, this thought for us, because they took what would otherwise seem, at least on the surface, as this very mysterious, mystical thing, God speaking to us, and breaking it down into a very, like, here's, here's what this can look like. Here are the ways that God speaks to us. And for sure, some of the ways he speaks to us can be the more mystical, can be the more mysterious. In my humble experience, uh, those are fewer and farther between, but they, they can and do happen. Uh, but one of the ways that God speaks to us is what they said is through the counsel of the saints. To use our language today, through Christian fellowship. We need, as we're trying to discern what's happening in our lives, what God might be doing, how is God moving in our lives, we need to seek the counsel of others. We need, we need fellowship. For instance, current would not be here today if not for Christian fellowship in Cindy's in my life. If you've been to any of the welcome, if you've been to the welcome lunch before, you know the story that we share at that time of how God just sent Cindy and myself just this, this moment of clarity that we felt so strong that God was saying, hey, start a church and start a church specifically in Mountain View. That the way we've thought about it is we can afford to be wrong, but we can't afford to disobey. That we just have to go for this. But, so, but what did we do with that information? The very first and probably most important thing we did was go around to any and every Christian friend, mentor, you name it, and just ask them not only... Should, what do you make of this? But also, can I confess to you, would you please try to convince us not to do this? I'm not making that up. Can you convince us not to, like, was it the burrito the night before that we 
I'm serious. I, we would ask that question. And I know we're laughing about it. I'm glad you're laughing about it. But we're like, please convince us, if you can, not to do this. And you know what every single one of them said? Boy, this is going to be hard. I don't know, I don't know how it's going to work out. But you've got to do this. Current would not be here today if not for a number of leaders in here today who have been in it from the very beginning who said, not only do you have to do this, we have to do this. There's so many stories I could share on this thought alone. I remember sitting around uh, someone's, uh, a couple's living room, and, you know, for instance, we were just taking the very real thing of the finances. This was long before any church partner said, hey, we'll partner with you, and, or even understanding how that worked and if that could work and all that sort of stuff. Cindy and I just went, okay, we've got two kids. Like, what's this going to look like, let alone how does it work financially with the church? And I remember in this, this living room, this couple said to us in a moment of we were just working this through and said, you know, we just, we just strongly believe you could trust God with the finances. He's, he, he will take care of you. He will take care of the church. And you know what went through my heart in that moment? Was, I'm not sure these guys understand the Silicon Valley financially. You know what was the next thought that went through my heart? I've never shared this with, with, with these, these friends before. The next thought that went through my heart is, wait a minute, they actually understand better Silicon Valley financially than I do. And my heart moved from closed-minded faith viewer last week to open-minded faith to... Uh, Oh my goodness, this is God's moving and God's working. Um, we need Christian fellowship to work in us. But so often, we, uh, we will either uh, do things on our own or just write off what others might say or don't even bother asking them. I was talking to another friend this last week who was telling me how they had friends who uh, just decided one day, they felt real strongly that God was telling them to quit their jobs, sell everything, and move to another country and live as missionaries. And they just felt so strongly about this, and they just they didn't need to talk to anybody. They just went, and, hey, we're, we're going to go do this. So they, they quit their job. They, they did the whole deal. And my friend was mourning a little bit of that. They're like, man, if, 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 if they had just asked or, like, even created the space for the conversation to happen, any number of people probably would have said something to the effect of, hey, if God's working in your life this way, that's between you and God. We can't say this or that. But my humble take as a friend who dearly loves you is, might God be moving here? Yes, but in a slightly different direction because I know your temperament. I know your passions. I know your skill sets. Might he be moving in a direction like this? None of that happened. And in the end of that story, as you might guess, is they, they went over, they sold, you know, they quit their jobs, sold everything, went over, and it wasn't long before they decided this wasn't a good fit, and they, they, they packed up. Um, we need fellowship. Those are kind of two extreme examples. I was talking again someone this week who, after going to current group this, this, this week, was just so encouraged by how vulnerable and how real the talk was this week in their group. And just saying that, man, the way that people were just opening up about their understanding of the faith and about God and, and His goodness to us just really ministered to me. It was encouraging. It was uplifting. It, it's, it was spurring to me. What did Mary do when she was trying to figure out, what do I make of this message? She got ready, verse 39, and she hurried to Elizabeth. Um, one more thought before we move on to the, the song. Can I just say something to the dudes here, the guys? Um, and I know I'm speaking in generalities, and that, that gets you in trouble, so forgive me that. I know this is all on the personal level, but it seems to me, guys, we struggle with this a little bit more. We don't seek out fellowship as well as the gals tend to do. Mary and uh, Elizabeth, for that matter, were both very intentional. Mary sought after it. Elizabeth leaned into encouraging uh, Mary. I, I, I almost wonder if Joseph, when he got this news, 
you know, was trying to figure out how is God working in my life, just went and found his man cave, got a beer, and just like sulked for a little bit. Like, what do I do? Like, that's what a dude, it's not in our scriptures, but that happened, okay? Like, I just feel like that's what Joseph probably would, because that's probably what kind of thing I'd do. Guys, we need fellowship. And if anything, we need to be extra intentional because, look, Mary is intentional, and then Elizabeth is intentional. Hey, this, I see this. God's doing this to you. Guys, if you're intentional, you still got to be extra intentional because the guy's probably like, oh, I see this happening. You, you follow? We need fellowship. And just more broadly speak, uh, speaking, not just to the guys and, and, and gals that that applies to, um, we're getting ready to break for the holidays with our current groups, which is really a wonderful thing. It's a way that our, our hosts and our leaders can get kind of a breather during a time that most, most often uh, folks are traveling and all, all that sort of thing. Um, but it's also a wonderful, wonderful thing that happens because it allows, as we start back up the new year, new signups and new ways to kind of get involved. So I, I encourage you to take advantage of that uh, and being intentional and investing in, in fellowship because we need fellowship. And what's striking to me is I'm not sure we would have the song had Elizabeth not said these things to Mary. Do you see that? If you look at verse 46, it's out of Elizabeth speaking into her life that we now, which we'll look at now, get this wonderful, wonderful song. My, song, my soul glorifies the Lord, Mary starts, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extend, extends to those who fear him, which, by the way, that's a phrase that often shows up in the scriptures. It really just means a people who are always more impressed in what God is capable of instead of anything else in life. He, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So we see now, first of all, this is a song of wonder and worship. Notice at the top, it says Mary starts her song saying, My soul glorifies the Lord. And she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Those are two words, one and the same. She's saying the same thing, even as she kind of employs this literary device to kind of really bring emphasis. She's saying, she's singing, my inmost being praises you, God. She is absolutely caught up in wonder. God has been mindful of me. The mighty one has done great things for me, here is a song of wonder and worship that helps move from the head to, to our hearts the beauty behind the Christmas message, indeed the Christian gospel itself, that God has done great things. Mary is not saying this is going to add value to my life. Mary is not saying this whole God thing is going to help me reach my life goals. There's nothing calculated about it. There's no cost-benefit analysis going on here. She is being caught up completely, wholly in her inmost being. She's in a state of awe and wonder that these amazing, at these amazing things that God has done for me, for me. It's truly amazing if we try to wrap our heads around what's going on here, because if you think about it, God has spent centuries, or to use Mary's terms, generations after generations, preparing for this day. And, she's, and he's essentially going to save the world through the lowly, uneducated teenage girl of Mary. She's absolutely blown away by it, by, by God blessing her and honoring her in this way. But here's the thing that I want us to all catch, church family. As amazing as this was to happen for Mary, as miraculous as it was to happen for Mary, 
Yes, she had her particulars. Yes, she had the unique things that were happening to her, the virgin birth. That's kind of unique. But as miraculous as it was happening to Mary, it's equally as miraculous of a thing that happens if you've put your faith and hope in Jesus. Our response, in other words, should be equally in as, as much awe and praise and wonder and worship at what God has done for us. Take, for instance, one writer pointed out the song that we, that we sing this time of year, uh, sometimes show up on the, uh, uh, turn up on the radio, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We'll sing the words, O Holy Child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Uh, there it is. Paul wrote it this way, writing to the early church. He said, this is the promise of when we put our faith in Jesus, we put our trust in him, Christ lives in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The message of Christmas and, and, and the gospel of Christianity is not you're a Christian because you go to church, not because you identify, at least nominally speaking, as Christian, not because you celebrate the holiday, not because you say your prayers and go to church, and not because necessarily you seek out Christian community, which we've just identified as an important thing. The Christian message, the message behind the the Christmas story is that God has done wonderful things that you and I just receive. And because of that, it leads us to a sense of awe and wonder. Do you ever feel that sense of awe and wonder? A sense of worship of like to the point to the degree of Mary of just like that God has done this for me? I wonder if you've experienced this and you've never identified as Christian, by the way. Maybe you've never identified as Christian, but as we've been talking about what God has done for you, or as even as you consider what we are talking about today, who God is and what he has done for you, it's like last week, you're troubled by it. You're kind of jolted, in, in your, in your, your system is jolted. You're, you're shaken a little bit. You're rattled. You're troubled by it, and then maybe you also have a sense of wonder, like what's going on here? Again, as Mary had last week. If that's you, even if you've never identified as Christian, I would venture to guess that you might already be Christian. What's left then for you is to embrace it, embrace him. And then if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you haven't experienced, or at least in a while, this sense of awe and wonder to the degree or in, 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 the, in, in the form or fashion that Mary experienced it. And the question I'd ask you is, why not? And let me just speak from personal experience. The times in which I have felt personally not, this, not having this, this, this sense of awe, wonder, and worship is almost always because I have made the faith about myself. I have made it about things that I do or haven't done. But the, the, the Christmas message, the gospel message is not, David, you've done great things. It is, God has done great things for me, for me, That is the message of wonder and worship, the song that she sings. Next, we see that the song is a a song of justice and mercy. Looking at verses 51 through 55, she continues, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You'll notice that Mary is basically moving in her song from singing about me to singing about he, right? All these verses are he has, he has, four times at least. He 
is a God of justice, we see, which is a subversive thought, is it not? I mean, when you think about the nativity scenes that prop up in people's you know, lawns and all that sort of thing, do you think of justice? That's not what goes to my mind immediately. When you hear the Christmas songs on the radios, your first thought, oh, justice. I, I don't think so. I think we're you know, kind of on the clouds. And the, the first Christmas carol was about justice. And I think deep down, this is all something we really, really want. Is it not? Um, and I imagine for most of you, uh, this is also a source, an area of pain, maybe frustration, because if anything, there's a lot of lack of justice out there in the world, in our nation. I mean, you don't have to go too far down. You have to scroll all that far in your newsfeed to start reading stuff today to start getting depressed when it comes to all these things. Um, there's a lot of outrage out there. Perhaps you felt that. Perhaps you feel that outrage. There are so many in our society, people whose voices are not heard, whose voices are suppressed. There are so many who are living in power today who are wielding that power for themselves and theirs to the detriment of others. The list goes on and on. It's painful. And we might feel, yes, God, we want you to come through. We want justice. But when America, the beautiful, is not as beautiful as we would have thought or hoped, uh, there's a lot of outrage. And I think, I wonder if a lot of this outrage is because we feel justice hasn't gone as far as we would have thought it had. Or maybe the outrage is because our efforts have fallen short. Or maybe it's because our efforts that we know deep down, even if our best hopes, new laws, amendments, policies, whatever you, you, you name it, we know that even if they were to pass and get through, they would still fall terribly short. I think we hear words like Mary saying that first Christmas, and I'm guessing we hear them with a mixed bag of emotions. Because on the one hand, we long for this justice. Do you long for this justice? But on the other hand, we're a little sad, if not angry. It hasn't come already. Um, I don't know why there's still so many injustices in the world today, but I do know that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in part thankful that justice is not complete I'm grateful that justice is right now partial, that we have a glimpse of it now. Yes, pain continues day after day, decade after decade, generation after generation. Justice is incomplete, but there is something here in this text that is complete. Every generation. If you look at verse 50, here it is. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. This, therefore, then, is a song of justice as it is a song about mercy. If you look at verse 52, Mary sings, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, uh, but has lifted up the humble. That word humble is actually not the best of tra translations. The, the Greek word there is tapenos, which basically means literally those at the bottom. So you could read this more literally. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly, lifted up the poor. Um, can I be real with you? you know, when I was reading this text, like first initial reading this week in preparation for this, it kind of rubbed me in an interesting way. Like, like it kind of irked me a little bit. Um, it irked me a little bit because all of this is spoken of, all of this is saying in the past tense. Do you see that? He has done all these things. He has brought down the rulers. He has scattered down the proud. And that's a little confusing. That might irk you because has it come to be? 
But as I've grown to learn in my humble experience with God and, and his word, that whenever there's a time like this where I'm kind of moved or pricked in this way, it's always because of myself, not God's word. And as I meditated on it, not in this sen- with the sense of, hey, let's just pretend that's not there. Not with the sense of, hey, let's just suck it up, you know, turn that frown upside down. But in the sense of like really truly understanding what is being said here, it, what, what had confused me and irked me became exceedingly beautiful. Um, for God has done these things, even if in certain ways they're still, impar- they're still partial. Uh, just consider for, for a moment, who is singing these words? Who's singing these words, God has done these things? Is it the ruler? Is it the one who is proud? Is is it the one who, because of the lack of justice in the world, needs to be scattered, needs to be brought down? It's the person who's lowly, about as bottom on the rung as it comes. The poor Mary, from her lowliness, is saying, this has happened. Uh, These things have been filled. She has been lifted. How? Well, this is, this is the gospel. The gospel is not that God shows his favor to the good and he scatters the bad. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not that the good come in and the bad don't. The gospel is those who know they're bad come in and those who think they're good don't. What this is saying as Mary is singing is she's saying, if you understand the gospel, it means that if you are scattered, you will be gathered. If you are gathered, you will be scattered. If you say, I'm all in pieces, God will bring you together. But if you say, I'm together, God will scatter. If you are humble, he will give you confidence, like he's doing with Mary right here, lifting her up. But if you are lifted up, he will knock you down. This is the subversively beautiful grace of God. Um, It's for those of you who are humble and willing to admit your sin that God will lift you up. And don't you see, if you are already lifted up, He will bring you down, but he'll bring you down in the best of ways. Can you imagine how this plays out, how this would play out if, say, a million people in this world started living this way, let alone a million, a thousand? One life just really embraced this? You think about the power that's here. This is a message for, first of all, those who are in power, a message that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's your... You must empty yourself to be filled. And to those without power, it's a message, it's not about you. In recognizing your lowliness, God will lift you up. This is the message of justice and mercy that's in the gospel that's behind the Christmas message, which I'm so glad is partial today, justice delayed, because that's the mercy part. Because I know if the justice was complete today, I wouldn't be left standing. The more I learn about myself, I would not be standing here. None of us would be. But this is the gospel. This is the message that God lifts up the humble and he lowers the proud. That we, and this is the message that we need today. You know, I am a political science major, you know, back, back in my undergrad days. I'm, I'm constantly, like, looking for and reading uh, texts about, like, power struggles in the world, political you know, entities and all that sort of thing. And one of the things I found, and I, and I found another, another uh, chapter in a book that I was reading just two weeks ago that said the same thing, is one of the things that really confounds political theorists and, and politicians and, and all that sort of thing is the fact that whenever you have power struggles in society, which are always going on, right? 
whenever you have a, a group that's in power and a group that's not in power, and there's, you know, basically a group with vo- a voice and a group that doesn't have a voice, whenever there's a re- role reversal, few, those happen few and far between, but when, there, when there's a role reversal, it just reverses roles. You now have these folks who are in power, and these people don't have a voice. And on and on this cycle goes. You might say, well, these people, de- you know, deserve having a voice now, and these de- people deserve being taken down. Be that as it may, the cycle continues, and then you're in a place where what about now? On and on this goes. You, and, 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 and all these theorists are like, what's the answer? How do we break this terrible, terrible human condition? The gospel breaks that condition. His justice and his mercy. Why? Because those in power need to lower their eyes. And those who are not in power need to lift their eyes, that he has lifted you up and that he will bring you down, but he will bring you down in the best of ways if you receive him. What does this mean for us practically? It means if you're a Mary in our society today or, you, or in a certain aspect of our society today, you feel like a Mary, you don't have a voice, or your voice is, is held down low, God gives you a voice. God loves you. He cares for you. He lifts you up. And if you are a person in a position of power and influence, which there's a lot of those to go around in the Silicon Valley, frankly, you need to lower your eyes and look for the Marys. You need to look to love, care, serve, and give voice to and be a voice for the Marys. Why? Because God's going to do it. And he calls you and he invites you to be a part of that church. That's our, that's our calling. If you're a Mary, if you're, if you're a person in power, the justice and mercy of God brings us to that place. For God lifted Mary to the greatest high, and, and highest of all honors and blessings. You know, real quickly, Protestants, I think we very often don't give Mary the honor that she deserves. But she's right here. She says, all generations from now on will call me blessed. She knows she's going to be a model and an inspiration for all generations. Protestants, we need to recognize that. But if you, raise, if you were raised Catholic, you probably need to recognize the verse preceding that verse. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord, Mary sings, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, meaning she's not perfect. Mary needed a Savior. Perfect people don't need a Savior. Mary needed a Savior. And she's giving us then a perfect picture of what Christians begin to sing about. Like Mary, we sing, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I am saved by grace alone. You and I, we need a Savior. And we need grace, and God has given it to us through his son, Jesus. How? He became a lowly person. He became poor, and he ultimately went to the cross. Why? To deal with the justice of God. Have you ever asked yourself why? If you're not a follower of Jesus especially, I'd be curious. This is a whole conversation we could have. Have you ever asked yourself why we as a culture, even apart from religion, ask, like, so much strive after justice, these concepts of right and wrong? Like, why do, we, why do we wrestle with that? Like, why do we have this sense of right and wrong? There's any number of things we could talk about, and I don't have the time to get into it now, to suggest that we would not feel that way. But why do we struggle with that? It seems to me that is the imprint of God's design in our lives. Why? Because God cares about justice. And he cares about justice so much more than you or I do, with, with perfect holiness. He cares about justice. He can't just say, hey, you know what? This bad thing over here, I know you're the victim, but hey, just suck it up. You'll be fine. Get back out there. Smile about it. He can't do that. As much as you and I, even if we weren't that victim, let alone are that victim, couldn't do that. He has to have justice, and that's what happened on the cross. 
God poured out his outrage on Jesus for the justice of the world, which doesn't just include the rulers and the proud out there, but in here. That's what God did through Jesus on the cross, dealing with the justice. Why? So that he could provide mercy. He could give life to those like myself who don't deserve it. The mighty one, Mary sings, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This Christmas, let's celebrate this subversively beautiful message of Jesus. You need community. You know, prioritize it as you can. Find a way to experience God's beauty in ways that you can. Again, practically speaking, this new year, you'll have opportunities to kind of to, to, to do that practically. Take, take advantage of that. But mainly in this season, let's meditate on, let's get caught up in the sense of wonder of God and his, his justice delayed and, and mercy extended throughout all generations. Let's take hold of it and let's offer it to others. Let's pray.